Hey everyone, this is Craig Horlbeck from the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. Join me, Danny Heifetz, and Danny Kelly every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to help you win your draft, win your league, and most importantly, avoid that last place punishment. Follow the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify. It's the Ringer's Philly Special presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid. Featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh, my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. Welcome to the Ringers Philly special. Shield Kapati here. The midweek show with Sean Syed from Sumer Sports. It's flurry. Every, Sean, everything feels more normal to me today, okay? Because the Eagles lost a game. Uh, there are fans outside the Novacare complex holding up run the ball signs. Everyone is very uh, angry, feisty, agitated. This is the experience I'm used to as somebody uh, who, uh, who was previously a fan of the Eagles, now then covering the Eagles on the beat, now talking about the Eagles. This feels much more normal to me than when the Eagles just win uh, every week. So welcome to this world uh, of the Ringers Philly special. It's different than, than what we've had, uh, I would say, the first 12 weeks of the season. Chill. I'm glad I could get that full Philly experience. You know, I spent a lot of time in Philadelphia and, you know, I woke up this morning really excited. We're breaking down film of a team that's 10 and three, leading the division, best record in the NFL, MVP candidate at quarterback, all pros on offense, winning out, gets you 10 the and one two, seat. 10 and two. Listen, oh, we, we, oh, oh, I don't oh, want anyone oh, to yell oh, at you. Oh, it's, oh, yeah, 10 uh, and yeah. two. I mean, we'll talk okay, about my yeah. predictions for later. Then yeah. we might get, get end up getting yelled at. But yeah, I mean, Shield, certainly there's nothing, <laughs> no. to, com- <laughs> certainly there's nothing to complain about, right? Uh, I guess, um, yeah, you know, it's 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 an experience. <laughs> yeah, you know what it is? I, I think there was this um, lingering feeling among many Eagles fans watching this team this year that maybe they're not as good as their record has indicated. But, you know, then you tell yourself a story. Well, you know, they find a way to win. Jalen Hurts, all this stuff. And then you have a loss like that. And it's like, uh-oh, were those underlying feelings real? And how's the end of this season going to go? I mean, listen, I remember the, the what, the Rich Cotite team where they start out seven and two, and then they lose seven straight games 
start to, to end the season. So uh, there was that Chip Kelly season where, you know, they're in a great spot after Thanksgiving. Mark Sanchez goes to Dallas in 2014. They beat the Cowboys. I think they improved to nine and three after that game. And then they don't make the playoffs. Listen, I don't think anything like that's going to happen, but it's a reminder. There's a lot of football to be played. So here's what we're going to do. We know you don't want to relive the Eagles 49ers game if you're listening to this. So we're going to talk about, you know, big picture stuff. What can we learn from that? What happened? What can we learn from that game? And then we'll turn the page and look ahead to this week's Cowboys game. But, you know, you can't just flush it down the toilet because that's a team you, you might have to face in the playoffs. And, and you got crushed in that game. So we have to talk about it a little bit. Let's start with the defense. Let's just get it out of the way, right? Get it out of the I mean, you give up touchdowns on six consecutive possessions. It's the second best offensive performance by any team in a game this season, Sean, in terms of EPA per drive. So the question is, what happened in this game? And we know it's never just one thing, but uh, I want to get to my thoughts second. Let's start with you. You watch that defensive film. You are the Shanahan expert. You've seen the 49ers do this to teams week in and week out, but not quite to this degree. Again, this, this was pretty special even for a 49ers performance. What stuck out to you? How, what are the different ingredients that lead to a 42-point performance for the 49ers against this Eagles defense? The 49ers are so clearly built to really attack the Eagles where they are weak, particularly in this game where you're bringing in an undrafted linebacker at that spot. And just the whole entire spotlight is at that position. And the Eagles are, of course, you know, they are built front to back. We talk about it pretty much every week. What getting home with four is such a positive, such an advantage when things are rolling for the defense. But then the Eagles can't get home with four. They have to send five in some situations. And when you only have six players in pass coverage, that's really where the 49ers are able to take advantage and conflict you like high and low. We'll, we'll talk about it on one of the touchdowns later. I was surprised a little bit by the 49ers. They felt like they were more than happy to get into early down passing, which that I, I think Kyle Shanahan, if you could ask him, he would obviously want to have control over the full game and he would want to just run the ball like 75 snaps in a row without any, any kind of problems. I thought the 49ers, their use of shifts and motions was particularly effective um, on a few different levels where just like trading, moving the tight end from one side to the other, and that changes the run strength. So then the defensive line has to adjust. The linebackers have to bump over. There were some times where the Eagles just didn't, or you could see the linebackers talking to the defensive line, hey, you need to bump over a gap. And the Eagles weren't able to do that on time. That led to a few runs here and there that just continue to pile on. And using that motion where Debo goes from one side of the formation, goes to the other side of the tackle, goes behind the quarterback and back out to that same side, that caused so many problems where the linebackers have to communicate and with the safeties, hey, we're bumping over twice, now we're bumping back. And then from a play, dine, play design perspective, I think that uh, the Eagles fans, I'm sure they, they tip their cap to Shanahan a few different times, whether it's those four strong concepts where you're sending four people one way and it really creates a true isolation on the backside where Purdy can hit that in rhythm. And then you have Christian McCaffrey running the whole entire route tree off that little choice concept where of course you're expecting that when he can get to so many different things, there's just... Kind of nothing that anyone can do. So uh, definitely a game where, wow, uh, an incredible performance. You know, so many drives in a row to score. But maybe maybe some positives to take away. You know, Sheila was told the third down and long defense would struggle. Two for third down and long stops to start the game. I thought I thought we were cooking at that point. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people felt after those first two possessions, all right, you know, this is going to be another uh, Eagles win. They're underdogs. Their defense has answers. And then it went downhill from there. So uh, I want to build on a few of the things you mentioned there. 
Number one, watching the film, what stood out to me that maybe was not in my head watching live was just what what a non-factor the pass rush was. I mean, that is a huge disappointment if you're an Eagles fan because of what you mentioned. This is how they built the team. This is where they invest everything is up front. The pass rush, you made the joke the first time you came on, like Howie Roseman can't keep getting away with this, uh, adding guys like Jalen Carter. They, they were so deep and they hit Brock Purdy twice on the first possession. They had one charted quarterback hit the entire rest of the game. I mean, there, you have no chance if, if your pass rush is not getting, and don't tell me you got, listen, are there snaps where he gets rid of the ball quickly? Yes. On average, 2.85 seconds. I mean, there, there were chances in this game for the Eagles pass rush to get home, to force a negative play, to force a turnover, to hit Purdy. And it didn't happen after that first drive. And that's not a great 49ers offensive line. And I mean, that to me is a major concern when you talk about having to face offensive lines like the Dallas Cowboys this weekend. If the pass rush does not perform, you're going to have a rough time with this defense. So um, that was the big thing that stood out to me on film. That was one. uh, That was the thing that I wouldn't have predicted going into the game. Like after the first two possessions, I'm like, okay, they're getting after them. They're, you know, they're going to make some plays and it just didn't happen the rest of the game. So that was not predictable. What was predictable was how the linebackers got picked on. I mean, that was, you know, when we, when we did the preview last week, it's like Nicholas Morrow and Christian Ellis against the best coach in the NFL at picking on linebackers uh, with his scheme, with his play calls, with his eye candy, with the motions, with the shifts, with the moving parts. I mean, they were all messed up in this game. And it's like hard to know how much to, they're in a tough spot. You know, can I really like blame Christian Ellis and Nicholas Morrow? Like, I don't know, you know, they're, they're doing what's asked of them, but my expectation was not that they were going to come out and play a great game. And so they got picked on there for sure. And then, uh, you know, the old cliche, Jimmy's and Joe's versus X's and O's, that showed up here. I mean, uh, Nicholas Morrow versus Christian McCaffrey on a choice route that he takes vertical, not going to go well for you. Eli Ricks as your slot corner, that's not going well for you. Kind of everywhere you looked, there were bad matchups. And Sean, I really thought like the Eagles defense just looked slow and unathletic. Now, maybe that's unfair a lot of teams are probably saying that after going up against the 49ers, but this was something if you are a completist and you listen to every Philly special, you heard me voicing this concern in August where I said two quarterbacks, 30 years and older, like generally does not work well. In this game, four of the Eagles' five defensive backs are 30 years or older. Slay, Bradbury, Byard, and Roby, who's playing on early downs. And like that just showed up. I mean, the speed, the athleticism, the physicality, I mean, they could not get off blocks. They were getting pushed around. And so that showed up to me as well. So uh, I had all those things, you know, in my little bullet points as, as what led to, uh, led to this performance, Uh, anything uh, additional to add from those points. Yeah, the speed point is something that's interesting. At Summer, we had two of our really good R&D people, Eric and Tej. They kind of put together a study on what they call bite distance. So basically just saying, well, how far is a player biting on play action? And then who are the teams that really are able to induce that? And unsurprising, you got teams like Lamar Jackson, where people are so worried, of course, about Lamar in the run game. And then the 49ers show up really high there. So could the Eagles be, quote, slow, like objectively kind of separate? Yes, that is absolutely possible. And it Maybe true, but at the same time, the 49ers make you so much slower. You see when Christian Ellis is running one way, trying to fit the run, and then has to kind of get get on his wagon and hitch back to find Kittle. Like they are so good at inducing that. And that is a special thing 
for an offense. And the pass rush point is is something that is so interesting because I don't think that the takeaway here is okay, let's let's all get Howie on the phone and tell him you need to change how your team building process is. You need to kind of get the best linebacker in the world there. You know, they had a plan there where Nicobe Dean, of course, you're not getting the performance because he's not there. He is hurt uh, that you would have expected. And last year, I think they did benefit from probably having linebackers that overperformed. I think what most my guess is what Eagle fans would have expected. So you build your build your team front to back. That's a great way to do it. There's not really any problems with that. I think that's the right way to deal with premium positions. And we saw in the Cowboys game where I think that was really the first game where both of our eyes were wide, wide open, like, oh, no, like if you're not able to get that pass rush, this is going to be a really continuing problem. And would you look at the schedule of the Cowboys are uh, at the game next week? So just just more fun for us, Shield. I think it was even before that, where we, after those Commanders games, yeah, we were kind of yeah, like, good point. the Washington you know, I game, think yeah. the sack numbers were high in the first one. But yeah, and we're like, wait a minute, that's like a, you know, a bottom five offensive line in the NFL. And Sam Howell was still able to operate. So I, I do think it's been more up and down than probably the, you know, people who don't watch this team every week would think. And, uh, you know, I was looking at some of these numbers here and you say, all right, Sheil, so they didn't get home with four. Well, then why didn't they blitz more? It's like, okay, let me look this up. When Sean Desai sent five or more, now some of these where they just had five, you know, five down linemen, which is a package we've talked about before, and you rush all five, but still five or more to your point, it's, it's numbers, right? Five rushing, six covering uh, the 49ers receivers. Brock Purdy went 10 for 11 for 213 yards, three touchdowns, no sacks, and seven first downs. He averaged. 19.4 yards per attempt. That's the highest yards per attempt for a quarterback against five or more rushers in a single game this season. So this wasn't a coming, you know, we've talked about it with Desai. He doesn't just come in with a game plan, do what he wants to do, and he's not going to adjust. He tried different things. He couldn't find answers. The answers he tried uh, were terrible. And so I don't know what the answer is going forward, you know, is it, Hey, you got to come up with more creative blitz schemes. You've got to practice some more so that you're ready to, um, unleash them. If you get in a game where your front four doesn't get home. Um, but I do think it's worth talking about, Sean, why isn't the front four like, like they're still, they're not injured that they're not that injured up front, right? Why isn't the pass rush, um, getting home? And a couple of the things I looked up here, one is on third down, this is alarming, actually. So the Eagles, you know, decide was asked about, hey, you have the worst third down defense in the NFL. So I was like, all right, why is that? The Eagles have seven sacks on third down this season, tied for the fewest in the NFL. Their sack rate on third down, 5.3%. The worst sack rate in the NFL on third down. That's why their third down defense stinks is because they are not affecting the quarterback on third down, and this is a very expensive pass rush, a very expensive defensive line that you poured all kinds of resources into, whether it's money, whether it's draft picks, uh, whatever, and they're not performing. They're not winning those one-on-one matchups. Now, um, do you think watching the film, is it just, hey, the pass rush isn't getting home? Is it, hey, the coverage needs to do a better job of making the quarterback hold on to the football? Like just as a, you know, I don't even think I asked you this uh, on the doc we shared beforehand, but just as someone who's watched every snap of this defense, is it always a combination of those two things? Or do you think it's one thing more than the other? I think it it is a combination of both the things kind of we we've talked about the marriage of rush and coverage multiple times. 
And even like, okay, you don't have to fin, or obviously you want to finish the sack every time, but pressure is, of course, more predictive than sacks. Than sacks are predictive of sacks. Maybe not, of course, but that's something that's interesting, I think, to find. But it, yeah, it feels like the pressure created isn't even that high. You know, maybe it's, is it that, hey, these guys just have a ton of reps, like they're a little bit later in the season, they're, that rotation is not as deep, I think, as they had earlier in the season. Maybe it's, you know, you want to be more creative where you're moving people along the defensive line, but sometimes it comes down to, hey, if Sweat and Reddick want to rush from that outside spot, then don't put them over the center. That is certainly a like a personal preference for player technique. But maybe you do have to move them inside a little bit. And yeah, where we saw Jalen Carter just totally kind of ruining drives, you keep taking those reps in the run game. I think offenses are sliding their linemen a little bit. And I guess there were times, I think, like the Cowboys game was kind of a clear example where it was like, okay, the rush is getting beat. I would not blame it just on the rush, but the coverage is being exposed because of that. I do think overall the coverage has gotten like better than where they were at the Cowboys point in the season, where after week nine, I was like, oh no, like this is, this is a, a, a huge kind of, Red alert. So, I mean, I, I hesitate to say, okay, well, it falls more on the rush or falls more on the coverage. But the team is telling us we are building this team where if our rush doesn't win, there are going to be problems elsewhere. So, you're, you know, you kind of have to find another way. And we had a listener ask about, okay, is simulated pressure is the answer where you you end up rushing for, you're sending a linebacker, you're dropping a defensive end. You know, maybe that's that's a solution just as a way to change things up. But at the same time, like, do I want Redick and Sweat dropping out, playing in pass coverage when we're paying those guys to, yeah. to really get after the quarterback. So it's going to be something that it has to be monitored and it's going to be good going up against the Cowboys in the way that we can compare pretty easily from that week nine. I think it was week nine, that game where they were really, really handled. And is there a solution, whether it's, you know, one of the first drives, the Cowboys have that five down front and then they run a guy on that long stunt kind of from the right side all the way through the opposite side of the center. And those do also develop, like those take a little bit of time to develop. So it's just it's it's a little bit of a head scratcher and something that you if it doesn't get solved, then, you know, the secondary starts to get exposed more and more. Yeah, I, I think your point about the workload is also a good one to hammer home. I, I was looking at. So first of all, we know Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis have probably never played this many snaps in their entire lives. I mean, the, Georgia, we know what Georgia does. They're rotating guys in and out. I mean, Jordan Davis played what around 20 snaps per game his last year in college. And now you're asked to be play a lot more than that. And we're going in to week 14 and you've dealt with some injuries. So there's that Jalen Carter, you know, I, I don't know what his number was last year, but again, that was a, a defense in college that rotated people inside and out. So I think it's fair to wonder like Carter and David, are they going to get a second wit? Like that this, you know, you might not see them be as effective down the stretch as they were earlier in the season. And then the other one that really stood out to me, Sean, Josh Sweat has played 601 snaps this season. We're going into week 14. He played 568 snaps all of last season in the regular season. And so you went with more of a rotation last year. This year, you thought, you know what? They're going to do that too. They drafted Nolan Smith. Nolan Smith can't get on the field. Uh, They have Brandon Graham. He's not playing as many snaps. It's a lot of Sweat and Reddick playing out there uh, on the edge. And, you know, I think both are good players. I think both have had fine seasons. At the same time, it's fair to wonder what production you're going to get from them uh, or if they're going to wear down even more down the stretch, given the number of snaps they've played. So um, it's something to keep an eye on. I mean, I mean, I don't know, like it's boring to say, hey, they're just not winning one on one matchups. That's kind of what the film's showing. Like they're get, they have opportunities. The quarterback's holding on to the ball a decent amount over two and a half seconds. That's usually the cutoff that we uh, have in these discussions. And it's just not happening for the pass rush. And I think uh, to me. When we talk about what's fixable and what's not, 
unless the pass rush gets going, I don't know. Like, I did you look at this game? Like, let's say you looked at this and you said, uh, I don't know who who your favorite defensive coordinator, Vic Fangio is probably your favorite uh, defensive coordinator in the NFL. Like, is there a scheme? Are there tweaks with the personnel uh, at hand that could have slowed down this 49ers offense on Sunday as you look ahead to like what's fixable and whether you have to face this team again in the playoff? I mean, I would say no, because there's been no team in the NFL that has really showed us that outside of that one crazy Browns game. I will say the things to me that are fixable is like the Eagles had clear communication issues between the, that second level, particularly, especially when safeties were coming down. That is something that I am sure yeah, we all hope that maybe we don't hope, but like when the Eagles play the 49ers in the conference championship, hopefully that's the the kind of revenge game for the Eagles that they get, that that communication is fixed. When the 49ers motion out to a four receivers to a side, everyone is just on a string and understanding that. And even in those first two drives, I felt like the communication underneath was pretty good. It also felt like maybe San Francisco was kind of a little a little bit simple there. And it was almost like Shannon was just, just waiting for his moment to pounce you know at the same time when we talk about the offense like the defense would be helped out by extended drives uh on the offensive end and obviously more points because yeah. we are in a league where <laughs> kind of the way to beat a team that has a really good offense is to outscore them but i i hope i think that the communication aspects are able to get smoothed out a little bit so it ends up in more situations where it is you know a player one-on-one with them in space and that is a situation that you know if a player makes a tackle a player doesn't make a tackle it's better when they're at least there as opposed to a person kind of running wide open. So I mean, I'm interested to see what Desai's plan is, particularly for the pass rush in that that Cowboys game. But you know, communication. I feel like they they really really saw it snap after snap. I think it's something they can get cleared out. Obviously, with another linebacker entering that room, maybe that depth is able to help them a little bit there. But I'm trying to be encouraging, Shield. I'm trying. To, I'm trying. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. I guess the biggest thing is, well, you're not going to face the 49ers. <laughs> you're not going to face the 49ers every week. They're not on the schedule every single week and when we talked last week about well Purdy yeah. will throw you one where your defender is going to get a hand on the ball really you know if, if it's up to them or not just because this is the way the offense runs and a lot of that I think earlier in the season was because of pressure and really trying to speed up that process and when you're not able to do that you know Purdy looked really good to me on on film and I think that that would be a hard hard one to fight against uh, in this game. Yeah, there was one Blankenship had an opportunity there, I think, in the third quarter. I mean, it wasn't an easy play, but he got his hand on the football. And then there was the one where Purdy kind of fired one to George Kittle there where he was real close to him, but he put a lot of heat on it um, that I think fell incomplete where, you know, if they get a different balance. But I agree with you. Yeah, there weren't a lot. You didn't look at this and we're like, oh, man, they had, you know, six missed opportunities that if they just make three, they win the game. No, no, no. This was like a thorough this is as much of a beat down as you will see an offense give a defense um in the nfl all right i'll give you a little encouraging i know you you're a you're a positive guy you don't like this the nedelphia you know it's just like seeped in everyone's yelling at each other everyone's all confrontational no one's in a good mood right now eagles are 21st in defensive dvoa i had them coming into the season i did my rankings my projections and i had them 16th so that which again, that's just one man's opinion, but I was looking at the turnover regression, the possible injuries, the strength of schedule, all those things. And so they're not like that far off from maybe where I had them. And I think you're going to see a lot of counting stats or you've seen a lot of counting stats this week. Um, a lot of that has to do with the schedule you face. Like if you're comparing this defense to last year's defense, it's just such a huge factor. They've played the 49ers first in offensive DVOA, the Dolphins second, the Bills third, the Chiefs fourth, the Cowboys eighth, 
and the Rams ninth. That's one, two, three, four, say, uh, six games against top 10 DVOA offenses. And you've had three good performances, I would say. Dolphins, Chiefs, and Rams. We came on and said, hey, they played pretty well. And you've had three bad performances in the other three games. And I do think if you like look at it with that mentality, that's kind of, you know, what at least I was, I don't want to say we or any, that's what I was expecting. I said, hey, throw some stuff against the wall. See what the game plans look like against these elite offenses. If you can get maybe two or three in there where you look good, that gives you hope that you can figure it out uh, in the playoffs. So if you want the optimistic view, I think that certainly would be it. Last year in the regular season, they played two offenses that finished in the top 10 in DVOA. One was the Lions, and that was in week one, and they got lit up. And the other was the Jaguars, uh, and that was the rain game where like Trevor Lawrence could not grip the football. That was it. So, I mean, it, it was just such a different scenario last year than it was this year. So uh, absolutely, they need to play better. But that's something worth uh, worth keeping in mind when you just look at the counting stats this year compared to last year. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back, talk a little more Eagles. Cash in on balling out this NBA season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book right now. New customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. I mean, come on, the Sixers, they got some very winnable games coming up. Washington twice, Detroit twice. I mean, what better time now to take advantage of that promo or, you know what, do something else if you want. But if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to join. The app is easy to use and there's a wide range of ways to bet, including quick bets, live same game parlays, the parlay hub, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Ringer Philly and turn dimes into dollars this season. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid. Featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid. Featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. All right. We are back on the Ringers. Philly special. I'm trying to see here, Sean, was there anything else on defense? I know you and I had a spreadsheet where I was asking you about a bunch of different plays. I don't know how many of those people are interested in hearing us uh, break down. One thing you brought up, which, which was right, was that some of this just came down to bad tackling. You know, Nicholas Morrow versus Debo Samuel in the middle of the field. Uh, Jordan Davis missed a tackle on a run play. Reed Blankenship missed a tackle on a run play. Eli Ricks doesn't bring Jawan Jennings down, and that leads to a touchdown. 
That has not been a persistent issue. Uh, neither of us thought on film for this defense all season long. They've been a pretty good uh, tackling team. So uh, 49ers, again, give them credit. They make you look bad with a lot of physical athletic players. At the same time, I think you would expect the Eagles tackling to be a lot better than it was uh, last week. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I think when we went to that Dolphins film, one of the first things we said was, how are they tackling this well? So it's been a defense I think has shown us that over and over they are a good tackling team. I don't think they rank crazy high in, in missed tackles over and over. So, you know, I, I hope that's something, you know, that that can get smoothed out just based on, yeah, you know, the, the game's the game sometimes. It, it happens. I do think just like a kind of from a high level view, like would you prefer as a defense to face really, really good offenses and get tested over and over and your fans are going to be upset because you're going to lose some, you're going to be lower in the standings or just being a team that is able to kind of roll over and over. And I don't know. I think everyone can can make their own assessment on that. Obviously, you want to end up with the one seed. You want to have the playoffs go through you. But I love that they face all these good defenses. We've seen so many different things. Obviously, what I don't love is like the cluster of injuries that they just keep piling up at specific positions where like I, I mean, I'm trying to tell people like, well, how many people played the nickel position? And they're obviously even they can't get back to having Avante Maddox there. Or maybe they can. Hopefully, he's. I'm sure he's working through his rehab as much as he can. So I do like that at least we've seen, okay, this team has seen a lot of really good offenses and has, for the large part, been able to compete. And it's hard for an, any offense to just blow out a team twice. So we're hoping, you know, if, if there's a chance the second time around, it looks a lot different. Yeah, that I mean, listen, that 49ers offense, they've, again, not to this degree. And so I want to be fair because, I, you know, you want, your defense to hold the opposing offense below what they're normally producing, even if that's really good. And that wasn't the case here. I mean, this was the 49ers second best offensive game of the season, their best offensive game of the season, as we mentioned in the post game pod against Johnny Gans and those Arizona Cardinals. All right. Listen, had to get that in there, Sean. I know you, you probably, uh, you probably like, oh man, he's still taking it. Even after that defensive performance, he's got a needle Johnny Gans a little bit. That's not fair. All right, let's move to the, offensive side of the ball. Actually, you know what? Let's break it up here. Let's just break it up and talk about some of the stuff we have in leftovers. I feel like we need a break after talking um, about that defense a little bit. Sean, we have uh, a Spotify wrapped winner, okay? And it's another person from Vermont. Matt Healy is the winner of the contest we announced last week where you send us your Spotify wrapped uh, and show us how many minutes you listened this year. And so the leader during last week's show was Alex, who had listened 5,606 minutes and was a 1% fan. Alex lived in Vermont. And then Matt Healy, his Vermont neighbor, comes over the top with 5,951 minutes, top 0.5%. So uh, have you ever been to Vermont, Sean? I think we might have to do a live pod. <laughs> Yeah, my my brother actually he went to medical school uh, in Vermont, so it's it's a it's a beautiful place, you know. Uh, not just because we have uh, Matt doing such a great job alongside Alex, you know, it, you get a maple creamy out there. They have like a nice little maple syrup in their soft serve ice cream, if that's the thing. She'll I know obviously you'd bring a wait, lactate wait, pill for what is for that? that? That wait 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 what are you talking about? Wait, what is this? A maple creamy? You yeah, can't just I'm say so that like it's, you know, <laughs> four strong or something and expect me to move on. What in the world is a maple? I've literally never heard of that. It's Take chills. as much time as you need. <laughs> well, when me and you make our trip to Vermont to celebrate, <laughs> you know, it's it's like you get your regular soft serve ice cream and there's just like this beautiful maple syrup kind of twist in there. But it's not like goopy or anything like it is just, you know, it is, it is art on an ice cream cone. There's like a nice spot by the water. I remember we went 
uh, for my brother right before he started in medical school to go there. And then we went back when he was done. And it's just, it's a great place. You know, a lot of, a lot of clean oxygen there. I think that you'd expect maybe those fans would be rooting for the Patriots, but no, we got, it sounds like there's a bunch of Eagles fans up there. Yeah. Maybe they moved up to, so the maple is in the soft serve or it's like a topping on top of the soft, soft serve. Okay, now now I'm, I'm digging into the memory banks here. So it's like, just like, you know, how there is chocolate soft serve. It's just like a flavor of it. Shield. Let's not make it too complicated. All you need to know is it tastes great. Oh, it's a flavor. Okay. You know what? Okay. It's right. going to be bad when Matt and Alex are like, oh, he's, he's doing a bad job re- representing Vermont uh, on, <laughs> on, on the podcast. It's just like, it's a different kind of soft serve where you get a little, you get, you got that extra flavor. I love vanilla ice cream. I, I will say that. I think it may be the best flavor. We can fight about that okay. off the air, but it, it's a really, really nice touch if anyone uh, ends up in Vermont. I feel like they would have a nice uh, dairy-free option for me, or the ma- maple creamy, uh, as you said. They're interesting. See, you learn something new every day. All right, so thank you to, listen, thank you to Alex. You did a great job. Matt, just gotcha. While you're out there, you know, you're getting the maple creamies. You don't have the, the headphones in. Matt had the headphones in. It was making sure he was still listening uh, to the pod. So thank you. Uh, to, you know what? I'm gonna, let's get something for both of you. Send me your uh email addresses, or I guess your mailing addresses. Uh, I'll talk to Cliff. We'll say, well, we will get something to both of you. And if you're saying, hey, I listened to more. Well, guess what? You didn't send it to me. If you did send it to me and I forgot, well, yes, then yell at me and show me. But uh, 5,951 minutes, that is going to be tough to beat. So thank you to everyone who sent all of those along. All right. I think that was good. I needed to break it up. It was, I mean, listen, this, this, they, they got killed in this game. And I know you're listening. You're probably like, we don't need to just hear this all the way throughout. So that was a nice uh, break right there. Let's get to the Eagles offense here, Sean. There is a lot of talk about what is the issue? Is it they should have run the ball more? Is is Jalen Hurts not playing well enough? Is there uh, something else here? When you look at the Eagles offensive performance, they have two nice drives to start the game. They settle for field goals on both of them. Uh, and then they kind of don't do anything there for a while until the game is out of hand. What is your sort of big picture takeaway analysis of what happened to the Eagles offense uh, on Sunday and what they're dealing with here overall? Yeah, I think that Jalen Hurts through the year are, has shown us so many times where he can go through his whole progression. He can find an open receiver. I Like that... To me, at this point, is not a problem overall. In this game, there were times where it felt like he really did not trust whoever the second tight end was there, either Stoll or Albert O, where it felt like it reasonably was in his progression and that player seemed to be open. Uh, And when you get to like three, four or five examples of those, and I don't know, can you blame a guy where he would rather throw to AJ Brown and Devontae Smith than those guys? I guess you can't blame him too much, but I think if you ask him, he would certainly say this was not one of his best games where it felt not exactly like that Patriots game, but in some ways, yeah, like it was, it was, it was rough at times. I think going through the film, not feeling like he couldn't see things. I don't think that that was necessarily it. To me, it was more of like, okay, trusting that specific position. And then there were times from an offensive level where the plan felt a little bit uninspiring. You know, you know that I'm a little bit kind of hesitant to just criticize, hey, the plan was really bad, but it felt like a we're better than you on the outside approach. We're going to, attack that and when you think about that in isolation okay aj brown versus whoever is going to be a positive example but when they are allowed to play a little bit more physical from the secondary i thought this was probably like the 49ers best coverage game so it is unfortunate that you do run into that example but at a certain point there has to be i think maybe a little bit more 
whether it's creativity and moving them around or having them in different spots where it felt like they were playing catch up for a lot of the game. So I do think I, I try and be an optimist that I think things get uh, smoothed out a little bit when you have Dallas Goddard back in there because the Eagles struggle in the past game against two high looks. More or less every single team in the NFL does because you're not able to access those vertical shots. And Goddard is the answer in that intermediate area so many times. And Hertz has a very clear trust with him. So it's not that he's going to stare down a guy that maybe is open and not throw it to him. So I think there's there's things that can be kind of pulled together. The run game is an interesting one because, you know, we both spent so much time looking like, okay, we'll go through the numbers. Like, wait, are they, are they just worse this year than last year? Is it a front half of the year versus back half of the year? I like looked into everything, whether it's like running left or running right. They're like a little bit better running to the left. Is it zone or is it gap? They're a little bit better running zone. But it's not like, oh, we have this silver bullet. This is the exact answer. To me, the biggest problem is that like Jalen, if I was a defense, I have no reason to really like hold my linebackers or respect Jalen Hurts in the run game. And that is such an advantage when the Eagles are able to freeze you for just a second. The same way we talk about how the 49ers get your linebacker stuck in mud the eagles are able to do that when hurts is a threat so then you know what's the answer because it doesn't seem like that's gonna change overnight maybe it's you get a little bit more vertical in that rpo game where you have that that quick slant off the rpo instead of really stretching with hurts but like that the run game as a whole to me it's not just yeah we need to run the ball more but it is it has to look functionally different because you don't have that same advantage built in so i don't know what any of your thoughts on that are shield but i think on the offense you said that we you know we had that kind of negative segment talking about the defense we're going to get into some positive but i don't know there's there's a lot wrong i think on the film for this one as well yeah i should i should you normally i take notes on stuff like that and as you're talking i'm like all right i want to follow and there i was just and i was just looking at it and then and then i kind of like forgot everything i was going to follow up with all right so you remind me because i'm the old man you have the nice young brain you eat the almonds you're doing well. Uh, the first of all, the tight end thing is kind of hilarious to me. Like this is on film. Like it was this week. It was also last week. Albert O must be like, what did like what did he do to Jalen Hurts? Was there like one cookie left in the cafeteria? And Albert O like snuck in line ahead of Hurts and took it. And Hurts is like that guy's not because there have been multiple examples the last two weeks where Albert O is standing there or running wide open and should be the read. And Hertz is not throwing him the ball. Same thing with Jack Stoll. And I'm with you. Like, yeah, I would rather throw to AJ Brown and Devontae Smith. But at some point, when you are just taking out like one or two players as options for you on a passing concept against a good defense, that's going to be. A, and like, I didn't think this was a thing that quarterbacks really did. But I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, our our eyes are not lying to us. There are plays where you say the the ball should go to the tight end here, or the tight end is way more open than anybody else, and Hertz is staring right at him, and he doesn't throw him the football. So that has absolutely been an issue. I'm not telling you if he threw to the tight ends, like they, you know, they're not going to win the game. I get that. Don't, don't get me wrong here. Um, and I want to funnel targets to AJ Brown and Devonte Smith, but that has absolutely been a thing on film that is not a figment of our imagination. So you're right. Just getting Goddard back and somebody he trusts, somebody he will throw the football to. And it sounds like, I think Jeff McLean reported earlier today that signs are pointing towards Dallas Goddard playing in this game against uh, the Cowboys. That's absolutely uh, going to be a huge thing for them. The uninspired, you know, you you were talking about the Eagles offensive scheme and saying um, it's uninspiring. And I don't think you're wrong. I just wanted to follow up, like explain 
like, like what would it look like if it weren't uninspiring? You know what I mean? Like, what are the things they could do where you would say, okay, they're not just relying on AJ Brown and Devontae Smith to win on the outside. I know you just talked about a little bit of that, but I wanted you to explain a little bit more because it is true. Like you watch the 49ers offense and it's like, oh man, every explosive, it's like schemed up explosive plays combined with individual players with great talent. And the Eagles offense, a lot of times, the big plays, it feels like someone's just making an amazing play. You know, it's not like, ooh, they schemed that baby up and got a guy wide open. Now that might be unfair, but um, I just wanted you to explain that a little bit further. Yeah, it's easy to look at what was going on on the opposite side. And I'm like, yes, that is an inspiring offense. Now, do I think the Eagles are going to shift it and have things like the 49ers? No. When we talk about the Cowboys offense, like how the Cowboys looked in the front half of the year where, you know, you could let your Mike McCarthy joke slip. At this point, when you watch the Cowboys on film, they're a great example to me. Well, some of the things that they've increased, they have moved CeeDee Lamb around a ton. So you take your best receiver, you're moving him along different spots. They get into empty more. They get into those isolation matchups a little more. They use bunch. So they're taking formational advantage and then their motion rates are higher too. So it's not just saying, oh, if a team uses motion, this is super inspiring. You know, you had a great a great uh, tweet run until the, the Steelers had that 400-yard game about a team that uses motion, but not in the best way. So it may just be you know, an oversimplification on my end where the passing offense, in a lot of ways, it is set up for those isolation matchups where they are plus in so many ways. But when things aren't working, there has to be some sort of answer. So whether that's making things just a bit easier, you get into those bunch formations where now we're forcing the defense to communicate, where we can take advantage of, we have the Eagles have really, really talented players Plus, they now have an advantage of the defense has to communicate it through. Can you get into those just like simple stacks or whatever? I think they did it. They do it a little bit more in the kind of advantage screen game as attached to run plays, but force the defense to communicate. Don't just let them sit in those two high looks and play you one-on-one where if they can be a little bit hands-on your receivers, they're able to take advantage. So to me, it's like the combination of motion, formation, alignment. Let's move the best guys around in different spots. And make it a little bit less of just we're going to isolate our best receiver on your cornerback where against 24 teams that probably works totally fine and is it isn't an issue but the Eagles are obviously a team with different stakes there so looking at what the Cowboys offense has kind of flipped from the front half of the season to the back half of the season to me that's a team that is doing just so many different things in so many different ways because they really weren't satisfied I think what they were doing where the Eagles at times, it feels like, and we've seen multiple plays of like, okay, this is awesome, this is awesome, including Swift and different jet sweep runs. But when you go up against the 49ers and you just see it feels kind of like a stick in the mud offense for a little bit, I think that's like a, a little bit of, a, of an issue for me. I, I, I think that's uh, very well said as, uh, uh, you know, my friend Nate, Ty- I feel like Nate Tice, I don't know if he was the first one who said this, the whole easy buttons thing. I don't know. I feel like the, the, a lot everybody, a lot of people say it now. I think it's a great way to say it. Like, yeah, well, what are the easy buttons you can push to help your quarterback, whether it's uh, stacks, bunches, motions, play actions, get him some layups, all those things. I would agree with you. There's absolutely room in this Eagles offense to do more of that to help the quarterback out more. And that's not to excuse Jalen Hurts. I mean, this was not a good game by Jalen Hurts. I mean, I don't think that's, you know, controversial to say. He did not play well. We talked about it earlier. Uh, He left plays on the field. He was not, uh, whether it was not seeing the field, you know, I'm with you. Like there are times where he was actually looking in the right spot. It wasn't like his eyes didn't see it, but he didn't pull the trigger. Was he thinking, all right, I can create more out of structure. There's always that balance with guys who can move a little bit. um, And that balance wasn't good. 
here. So, um, yeah, I think it's a combination uh, of all those things where are, there are things they can do to make their life easier. Now, we should talk about the run game a little more because I remember one of our first, one of the first episodes you came on, I think you, you said it very simply that offenses need to run the ball to get defenses out of those two high looks. You need to earn those one high looks. And then once you get the one high safety looks, you, you say, hey, if you're going to play too high, we're just going to run the ball all over you. Well, then the defense says, all right, we got to make sure our safety's involved there uh, in the run game. And then guess what? You get those one-on-ones on the outside, which the Eagles absolutely feast on. Not happening right now for the Eagles. They're not. So if you look at the overall rushing numbers, and you just alluded to this, they're fifth in rushing DVOA. They're third in rushing success rate. You say, what are you talking about, Shield? They can run the football. I was trying to get the splits like you were. And, you know, I remember Jalen Hurts took that, you know, that hit to the knee. Uh, I think it was in week seven against the Dolphins, where he comes out in the second half with, with a knee brace on. So if you look at it since after that game, week eight through week 13, they're 20th in rushing success rate. Now, there's always going to be some noise. It's football, small sample, but it kind of, I mean, we've been breaking down the Eagles run game on film every week here. And most weeks we're kind of like, hey, you know, a little bit off. They didn't really have it this week. Like it's been pretty consistent here for the last six weeks or so. And I think you're right. I think Hertz's legs not being a factor in the run game is the number one thing. That's the number one thing you had last year. You had it in the Chiefs game. You come off the bye, and it's like, oh, okay, they're going to have this back. Now he's healthy. Well, that hasn't been the case. So you have that. Goddard being out. Hurts. He's fantastic. In the run game, you didn't have Jurgens there for a while. Uh, that was a factor. And so you're not able to run these defenses out of those two high looks. And so what does that mean? You're passing a lot against two high looks. And guess what? That's harder to do. Like you mentioned, especially if you don't have Goddard, you're not working the middle of the field as much where those open spots are. Right now, Jalen Hurts, uh, 45% of his dropbacks have been against two high coverages. Last year, it was 33%. I mean, that is a big time increase from last year. And in terms of efficiency, he's 22nd in success rate against two high coverages. So in this game, I think 28 of his dropbacks uh, were against two high coverages. And so I don't know what the answer is. You know, I know Solak was saying, hey, a little more, you know, uh, under center or pistol. I feel like the football guys always, you know, they always, you're, you're, you're a football guy. Everybody always under center. It's like, well, I don't know if that's going to solve all of the world's problems is running under center when it's not exactly what you do um, usually. And I was looking at the, you know, the pistol numbers. They've had 42 runs out of pistol. That's fourth most in the NFL. Their success rate out of pistol is actually worse than it is out of shotgun. They're under center runs. They've only had 15. Their success rate is worse than it is out of shotgun. So Nick Sirianni and Brian Johnson call you today. You know, last time it was Bradley Cooper. So you're like, oh, it was kind of cooler when Bradley Cooper stopped me. But uh, they call you up today, Sean. They say, listen, we want to set up a Zoom with you and Jeff Stoutland because we know we need to get our run game figured out between you and me. Don't tell Sheil. You know, Sheil has loose lips and ships. You can't tell him. But Jalen Hurts' legs are not going to be a factor, at least until the playoffs. We know we need to run teams out of these two high looks. What do you suggest we do, given the personnel we have at hand? What do you tell them? Is there an easy answer? Is it just like, uh, sorry, you're, you're kind of out of luck? What do you think? Well, sure. You know, you got to go compliment sandwich, especially if you're talking to a great like Jeff Stalin. I will say across the league, right, the Eagles are second highest in light box run rate. So that is generally a positive. You would like to run into those light boxes. And something else across the league is defenses are 
so much better by numbers basis of defending the run from light boxes. So it's not just the Eagles are having this problem. Like teams across the league are having the problem. And I wouldn't expect every single okay. offense to be able to solve it. But the Eagles have one of the best offensive lines. I do think, you know, Dallas Goddard coming back is going to be a really, really positive aspect. They're going to be able to get in. They're going to use different formations. Maybe, you know, your second tight end is no longer your third tight end on the roster. Dallas Goddard is such a plus blocker and someone that we've, I think, loved in the run game. And, you know, in so in, in college teams, defenses really have to do so many different things to be able to deal with the quarterback run game. And to me, Philly for right now, no, you're, you're not removing Hurts from the run game as a whole, but your approach to it does have to be different. Where sometimes on RPOs are hard for the offensive line because like half the offensive line is kind of pass blocking a little bit. The offensive line has to be kind of safe. They can't just run five yards down the field as fast as they can. So to me, it's, you know, take, take that and let's run straight. Let's a little bit less of that outside zone mentality, particularly yeah. where the 49ers were able to succeed, I think, like, I mean, Greenlaw, which I'm sure everyone loves to hear the name Greenlaw, especially considering what happened on Sunday. But he was able to like really kind of push back when Kelsey was pulling in space. And not a lot of people can do that. So I would like to see just more verticality in the run game. And that meaning like it's just more of an inside zone where, no, it's not going to look like the Vikings. I'm sure I've mentioned, hey, we want it to look more like the Vikings every game because, yeah, of course you do. But let your your double teams get more vertical as opposed to having to work horizontal a little bit where maybe that block can slip. I think that the 49ers are, eight, are, are sorry, the Eagles are able to just like outstrength you going straight. So going into a Cowboys game where the Cowboys want to be light in their personnel, they want to be versatile at that second level, like a lot of safeties playing that linebacker spot. I want it to be more vertical. I want it to be more attacking and get into the inside zone mentality as opposed to worrying about, hey, I need to get this guy up the field. I need to sell the pass to him, like committing to that, not saying we need to run the ball 75% of the time. I don't think that's a smart way but hopefully using that as a way to force teams out of some of those two high looks yeah i i think that's the key point it's like it's it's not run the ball because we're you know stuck in 1987 and you know like this is i think i've told you before this happens every time the eagles have lost a game for my lifetime someone is on tv or the radio or outside the novacare complex saying run run the blank ball um and and, and that's you know gonna solve all of your problems were usually, no, 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 that's not going to solve any of your problems. Even, I mean, some of those run games stunk. It was like, that's not going to solve anything. At the same time, I think the point here is it can get you more advantageous passing looks if you're able to have that threat that, no, no, no you can't play this way um, against us. Again, specifically with those two outside receivers you have, um, if you really want them to feast and you want them to get one-on-ones and you want one single high safety, um, then you have to, you have to earn that, which, you know, again, you made that great point on one of the podcasts we did together. So overall here, Sean, it's not, you know, as bad as I think, again, it's as Andy Reid would always say, it's never as bad as you think after a loss. It's never as good as you think after a win. And so right now the Eagles are seventh in offensive DVOA, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's not that bad. Seventh is not a bad place to be. Uh, Jalen Hurts is eighth in EPA per pass play. Again, he did not play well last week. Um, he has not been playing well in recent weeks. That's fair. But eighth in EPA per pass play is not that bad. All right. Did I miss anything with the offense? Did I hit on everything we wanted to hit on? What do you think? Yeah. So like, do me and you good. Do- yeah, do we go outside the no complex? Do we bring do we bring our own signs? Like, what's the what's the kind of protocol on uh, going outside the no complex? 
Uh, no, we do not do that. But that reminds me of a place I wanted to bring up to you. So a uh, shout out to Bo Wolf. He gave me this recommendation. So my friend Nick Wagner, who covers the 49ers for ESPN, um, anytime he comes to Philly, you know, to cover it, we, we try to meet up, say hello. When else are you going to say hello? So, oh, well, you know, like, all right, well, let's let's meet for lunch on Saturday. I asked Bo, like when a visitor comes in, what's your go to spot for a cheesesteak? And he gave me, you know, a bunch of places. But he said, there's this place called Little Sicily, too. Like a little Sicily too. Like I've literally never heard of this place. I look it up. It's about five minutes from where I lived five years in Philadelphia. It's in this strip mall next to a Wawa. Okay. So um, what is this place? Sean, you walk in. This place is run by Indian. Little Sicily too. It's run by Indian. You walk in. It smells like your favorite uncle or auntie's house. What is going on here? They put like an Indian twist on all kinds of stuff, including, you know, they got a cheesesteak and then they got a chicken cheesesteak, which I, I don't eat meat, but Bo is like, yeah, listen, if he doesn't mind a little spice, he's going to like this thing. They put a little masala, a little spice on the cheesesteak and the chicken cheesesteak. Nick's like, this is one of the best, you know, he, he eats a different cheesesteak every time he comes to Philadelphia. It's like, this is amazing. They got all kinds of options for me. I got this like veggie club sandwich that they're Indianing up delicious. I mean, I can't believe I've never been to this place before. It was amazing. I'm going to go there all the time now. So there you go. Next time you're in Philly, Sean, we go to Little Sicily too. Sure. I mean, I can't wait. Anytime, you know, you get some some Desi representation in the food game, you know, it's just important. I live in, I live in Dallas and I, like, everywhere you turn, there's a really, really good spot. My, my wife and I grew up in New Jersey, but you know, the food's better. The Indian food is better down in in Dallas and in New Jersey. So she'll, you know, maybe, maybe we do a little home really? and home. You know, little, That's little, shocking. Little... I mean, New Jersey is like little Mumbai. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Hey, my wife, my wife grew up in Edison too. So yeah, that's, <laughs> we had the discussion yesterday uh, at dinner, but you know, wow. we'll, we do a home and home. We go to Philadelphia, we do little Sicily too. We do something in Dallas. It's just, it's just a lot of calories being consumed around here. Let's, yeah. you know, let's maybe hold off on the ghee, hold off on that oil just a little bit. If you were to ask me, you know, in, in my cooking, that's, <laughs> we try and reduce that a little bit, but you know, you can, you can splurge here and there, right? I agree. No, I agree with that. This wasn't, uh, yeah, no, this was the, there, there was no ghee on this uh, veggie club. And then they, you know what? I didn't even order fries, but they got so many masala fries. They just throw some on the plate. I mean, come on, you're, you're giving me a deal here uh, too. So I'm wondering if listeners have heard of this place because I did start Googling it and it seems to have like an under, you know, it's kind of like a cult underground off the grid uh, type place that people seem to love. I mean, it was packed um, in there. So there you go. Little Sicily too. All right. Before we get to the Cowboys, one thing, you know, and I wasn't even sure um, if I was going to touch on this or not, Sean, but I figured, you know what, we have a podcast. I want to mention this real quick. So we just talked about Jalen Hurts and the offense. There's this clip making the rounds. Uh, we're an analyst. I don't need to say the analyst's name. He says Jalen Hurts isn't comfortable reading defenses and that the Eagles should give Marcus Mariota a shot. We don't even need to address the Mariota part. I mean, that, listen, that's not uh, worth your time. Anyone who thinks Marcus Mariota gives the Eagles a better shot to win games right now than Jalen Hurts is probably clueless, and you should probably ignore them. But the only reason I'm bringing this up, normally I would just ignore something like this, but my issue is that if you are going to insinuate in this day and age that a black quarterback can't read defenses, I just think you should have to show your work because I understand why Eagles fans are so offended by this because it's been like 35 years. First, you know, I grew up, I was probably seven years old. It was Randall. Then I was 17, 18 years old and it was Donovan. 
Then I was in my 20s and then it was Vic. And now I'm an old man and it's Jalen Hurts. And it's like anytime they had a bad game, the default analysis, whenever a black quarterback has a bad game, seems to be that uh, they can't read defenses. And I just think we should be past that by now. I mean, we can listen. We just talked about the Eagles offense. There are issues in the passing game. Jalen Hurts did not play well against the 49ers. I can show you those examples. If you want to make that argument, uh, go ahead. But as Sean pointed out, I mean, I can also show you examples where the Cowboys are rotating from one high to cover two post snap. And he's got to, you know, figure out what's happening in a matter of two and a half seconds. And he gets to Devontae Smith on a crosser in a big spot on third down against a top five defense. I can show you when his three-man concept to the right is not there for him. And he gets to the backside dig in a concept. Like there are examples of that too. So just don't be lazy and disingenuous. It's perfectly reasonable to say Hertz uh, did not play well against the 49ers and give your reasons why he did not play well. But just show your work and don't just like trot out these claims because these have been stereotypes that Eagles fans uh, have really been hearing and not just Eagles fans around the league, around the NFL. I mean, we have a long history of this that we could get into, but specifically for Eagles fans for like the last 35 to 40 years. So that's all I wanted to say about that. I don't know, Sean, if you have anything to add to that or if you're just like, well, you know, we'll move on the Eagles Cowboys. But again, normally I didn't I wouldn't even like address that. There's no need to. People say all kinds of things on networks and online that I disagree with, and I am usually don't care. But that was one that kind of annoyed me uh, for that reason. So I thought I would bring it up. There you go. Yeah, I think, you know, my promise coming in was that I would do the work. And to me, the work has shown pretty clearly that Hertz is capable of doing those things that he was criticized for in the particular clip that you're mentioning. And it's unfortunate that you know, whatever, because all of us have biases, right? Like we both have biases in the way that we consume the game as well. But to have other sort of things kind of maybe flow in a little bit is is such an unfortunate situation where I think you can look at this game and find things to build on where it's like, hey, you know, Hertz can do this thing better as opposed to saying, you know, Hertz can't read the defense, which to me, like is it, it's just shown <laughs> to, to be false. So I feel like even engaging with it is yeah. is like we don't have to because it's, you know, it's not someone who to me, uh, you know, has done the work, but uh, it's just, you know, we went from talking a little Sicily about that. And then we get to talk, talk about the Cowboys only, only on the Philly special, you know, we, we touched on maple creamies. I feel like we've been, we've been food heavy. Uh, and then we get a little salty there. So, you know, we got a little bit of everything. There you go. I mean, listen, Sean knows, uh, I'm, he doesn't have to say this about himself. He has more knowledge than every person you watch on TV. And for this podcast, he's watched every snap of Jalen Hurts. So, and he feels like he wants to needs to criticize Jalen Hurts for a play or a game or a series. He's done that reasonably so, and he explains himself. That's the way it should be. Uh, but listen, maybe that's not. Yeah, that's why you know NFL Network isn't picking up the Ringers Philly special. We have this loyal audience listening six thousand minutes per year. All right, Cowboys Eagles had to get that off my chest. What did we learn from the first game? What do we expect to be different? Let's start with the Cowboys offense against the Eagles defense. Again, these teams played in Week Nine. Eagles win twenty eight twenty three. But who, baby, Dak Prescott was impressive in that game. Some of the changes you mentioned, I don't know if they started right around that time or not, Sean, but man, they've just built on it since then to where they are now. He was 29 for 44, 374 yards and three touchdowns on film. I remember that film really stood out because the Cowboys offensive line just dominated for like 57, 58 minutes. And then Josh Sweat has a big sack at the end. The Cowboys have the fail at the one yard line where Reed Blankenship 
tackles the tight end on that pick play. Uh, the Cowboys had another fourth down fail where they're going one-on-one to Jalen Tolbert against James Bradbury. Oh man, if that was an Eagle. So we'd still be talking about that play uh, weeks later. So um, they had a lot of opportunities to put up more than 23 points. I thought the Cowboys offense played really well in that game. And so since then, you know, Dak Prescott overall is second in EPA per pass play, fourth in success rate. He's tied for first in MVP odds right now. So uh, you mentioned some of this earlier, so I don't know how much you, you know, you need to repeat yourself or if there's other things we didn't get to, but yeah, that Cowboys offense is really uh, clicking, hitting on all cylinders, clicking on all cylinders. I don't know. It's, it's one of the two. They're playing really well, right? Yeah. I think a lot of that, what I would see as positive change actually came after they were totally dismantled to the Niners where that was in week five for the Cowboys in week six, they play a tight game against the chargers, but you start to see some of the the bones of what their evolution is going to be. They go into the bye week and coming out of that, I think just so much positive change. And outside of the things I already said, like Dak ranks, I think the lowest right now in pure dropbacks, which uh, pure dropbacks would exclude uh, screens, RPOs, play action. So that means that Dak has more of those, as we love to say, easy buttons built into the offense. So I think that's been a positive for Dallas. Obviously, a quarterback has to drop back and be able to attack the defense. And Dak has shown the ability to do that. CeeDee Lamb is like a 10% increase in the in his target share over the last few weeks. He's aligning in different spots. I believe another Cowboys tight end, Jake Ferguson, looks so good, well, especially when he's attacking the seams, which is an yeah. area that the Cowboys love. Cooks has been more involved. I think that sometimes, not that it's a critique of the Eagles offense, but they use those access throws as part of the run game. It's really a positive for the Cowboys. I think it's helped them open it up where they haven't been using that as much earlier in the year, but they do that. Now, so the Cowboys offense to me access like, oh. throw. Explain that. What, what what do you what do you mean by an access throw? Yes, yeah, so I maybe I should use the word advantage there. But when we think of uh, hey, we have a run play called. We have three receivers to the outside. If we have a numbers advantage, where say they only have two people okay. over the chi- trips, let's just throw it out there. So like we're accessing based on on leverage is usually what there. But I should I should have went with advantage there, Sheila. I appreciate you you checking in on that. We'll we'll use advantage. So I know that's what Doug Peterson <laughs> likes to use. Uh, kind of as uh, <laughs> as I mentioned for that. But I think that in this game, so much is going to come down to what, what is the defensive line going to be able to do? I I don't want to have to come back here and stand up for a defensive performance that let up almost 200 yards to CeeDee Lamb. I will do it if I feel it is true again. But to me, the defense has the ability <laughs> to have different coverages to deal with CeeDee Lamb. Uh, I do think that their like, coverage, particularly from Bayard, has looked better in the past few weeks. So I feel better about the secondary overall. But yeah, I mean, the defensive line is not able to get there. There is going to be uh, maybe a lot of problems uh, and some more people outside the Novacare complex next week. Well, it, it's not going to be easy because it, I think I mentioned it on our postgame pod. I mean, Tyler Smith and Zach Martin, I was putting together like my own all pro team after uh, 12, 13 weeks just to be like, all right, where am I at with the league right now? And could make a strong case. I had both those guys as all pro guards. And then Tyron Smith, I mean... I don't know that a, like a left tackle, I mean, Trent Williams played really well last week, but Tyron Smith has played as well as any left tackle that the Eagles have faced this season in that first game, I thought, uh, against the Eagles. I mean, I don't remember seeing like Josh Sweat on the ground that many times in an NFL game before. So Tyron Smith, I thought, really got the better of him again until Sweat made the huge play there at the end. So this is a tough offensive line. You know, the weak link is absolutely their right tackle. So Ken Hassan Reddick make plays against him. Their center, you know, certainly is not at the same level as those other guys too. So those are the two areas you want your pass rush to win. Yeah. Lamb had 11 for 191 
in the first game and we came on and we're like, they tried about 17 different things against CeeDee Lamb and none of them really worked. I mean, he had catches on everybody in that game. And so it'll be interesting to see what they do here because I feel like the Cowboys are in a little bit of a different spot. I remember before that game, we're like, it's CeeDee Lamb and a bunch of nobodies. Well, now Jake Ferguson, the tight end, is playing a lot better. Brandon Cooks is a lot more involved than he was at that time. So listen, Lamb's still the guy you build the game plan around and you want to take away, but maybe it's not quite as easy as it was going in to that first game. I think that, yeah, I mean, I got nothing else there uh, on their offense. I mean, that's really the big thing. We'll see Shaq Leonard. I I don't know how much he's going to play. If you missed it, I did a solo mini pod yesterday. Just watched some film of Leonard and gave some thoughts about what he might bring to the table. I mean, I would just say, you know, listen to that if you want the full thing. I would just say temper expectations. I mean, the Colts were taking him off the field on third down uh, this entire season. That was kind of at the heart of that disagreement was they didn't feel like he was one of their best coverage linebackers. So is he all of a sudden going to come in and boost your coverage? I mean, he could. The bar is pretty low. The linebackers have not been good in coverage. But uh, if he were like a difference maker in that respect, I would be pretty surprised. All right. Other side here. Sean, Eagles offense versus the Cowboys defense. Jalen Hurts, very efficient in that first game. 17 for 23 for 207 yards. Spread the ball around. Explosives to A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, DeAndre Swift. Uh, They ended the game horribly, which I forgot until I reviewed my notes here, where they had three three and outs in the fourth quarter of that game to let the Cowboys hang around. They had uh, the go ball to A.J. Brown on third and three, which... You probably remember that. I did not like that call uh, at the time. They had the the play where A.J. Brown ran into DeAndre Swift. He's coming in motion, and they're trying to hand the ball off, and it turns into a fumble. But Tyler Steen, with the great fumble recovery, kind of saved the day. Um, What do you think? Eagles offense coming off that Niners game, knowing what we know from the first game, uh, what are you looking for in this matchup? Well, I'm happy that Lane Johnson's going to be there. It's going to be a, a full offensive line. I thought that after the first Cowboys game, that's what really pushed me to want to write the Hurts is playing like an MVP again article because he was, I mean, he was throwing some, some like I wrote it, fireballs through keyholes because that's exactly what it was. And I think the Eagles offense was able to win on <laughs> explosive plays. I think that when you watch the Cowboys Seahawks game from last week, that Thursday night game, the Seahawks did what they could to try and get bland to bite in different ways or have DK Metcalf on him. I'm not sure if the Cowboys are going to kind of take their lessons where in the second half they put Gilmore on uh, DK Metcalf. So do they carry that over to the Eagles and just have Gilmore on Metcalf where then it becomes Devonte Smith against bland where Hertz had that awesome throw deep into the end zone and bland, obviously leading the league in pick six and setting a record there. He is such a poacher and is so fun to watch. He will attack those, outbreaking routes pretty heavily so you know is it let's get some double moves in that way i think that would hopefully be good because i think the eagles can win through the air when the cowboys want to have those five down fronts and just you know looking for a little bit more creativity in in the pass game and i'll keep saying verticality and uh, attack inside in the run game but i think the game unfortunately goes as far like if the offense can't really outscore them that's really the unfortunately i think what what it comes down to which is such a lazy analysis shield I, I do realize that oh the offense has to score more points than the other team but this isn't a game where i would expect the defense to only allow six points the cowboys offense is rolling and you hope that the same way the cowboys were able to learn lessons from losing big to the 49ers the eagles are able to take that into a game where the cowboys play super well at home do i think they're gonna win uh i'm not sure shield <laughs> hopefully we'll see when we get to your prediction at the end <laughs> 
I don't think it's bad analysis. It's kind of the way the team is built right now. You know, like we just saw their defense get completely gashed, the second worst defensive performance by any team this season based on EPA per drive. And we just saw these teams play in week nine and Dak Prescott completely lit you up. And so like, you know, the Eagles aren't that different defensively now than they were then. So uh, I'm with you, you know, certainly have concerns on that side of the ball. And so offensively, do you get a performance where uh, you're better than you were against the 49ers? Maybe more like you were in that first game. Like you mentioned, you have Lane Johnson, you get Dallas Goddard back. Uh, maybe you figure some things out in the run game. I don't know. Yeah, but I, I do think that's a possibility that their offense ends up playing pretty well here. All right. I think that's the breakdown uh, that we needed. You know, we, we went through uh, all these players just a few weeks ago. I think people know uh, who play for the cat, who plays for the Cowboys. I will say this. So I'm looking at this New York times uh, playoff machine here. And so I'm doing this thing. All right. Let's say Eagles lose to the Cowboys, but Eagles win their final four games. They still, according to this, have a 71% chance to get the buy in the NFC if they do that. So again, that's losing to the Cowboys. And oh, baby, if you think people are panicking this week, Sean, just wait till, I mean, there'll be all kinds of signs down there if they lose a second straight and lose to Dallas. So if they do that, but then they come back, they win at Seattle, and then you finish with maybe the softest schedule in the NFL, finally, weeks 16 to 18, Giants, Cardinals, at Giants. So lose to the Cowboys, win those final four, you have a 71% chance at the bye week. So just keep that in mind when your friends are telling you, you know, as you're hanging out this week or on Friday, and oh my, if they lose this game, they're going to lose the bye. Well, no, that's actually not true. Um, you know, they won't certainly control their own fate, but they'll still have a very, very good shot at it. Now, if you lose to the Cowboys and then you lose one of the last four, all of a sudden, you know, yes, then your friend is going to be right and they're not going to get the bye most likely. All right. I'm looking at this game, Sean. Uh, listen, I just don't have faith in the Eagles defense to stop this Cowboys offense. I do think there's a chance now that, you know, that clip I mentioned earlier, uh, I know that's going to make the rounds in the Novacare complex. And part of me is like, don't bet against Jalen Hurts in this spot when kind of the spotlight's on him and people are ripping him nationally and calling for Marcus Mariota nonsense. I know that clip's going to get to him. I think there's a possibility he comes out and has a monster game, but I also am in the camp of some of those bounces that the Eagles got their way early in the season. We're probably going to catch up to them at some point. I thought all along they were going to split with the Cowboys. So uh, don't, don't yell at me listeners, but I am picking the Cowboys in this game. You know what? I'm going to go with the exact score from the first game, except opposite 28, 23 Cowboys. Uh, I think they're going to ha have a hard time stopping that Cowboys offense. I think the Eagles offense, there's a chance they play well, but until I see them kind of get going a little bit more, I'm not going to assume that that's going to happen. So I've got uh, Cowboys 28, Eagles 23 in this game right now. Cowboys are a three and a half point favorite in this football game. All right, Sean, I don't know if you want to give a prediction or not. I was worried about you last week when the Eagles get off to the hot start. I'm like, oh man, the listeners are going to let Sean hear about it. He picked the Niners in this game. So it's up to you. You know, you live in debt. You don't have to pick the game. If you want to pick the game, go ahead. The ball's in your court. Should, you know, it brought me no joy or pride to have picked the 49ers when they won big last week. That is not something I gloated. I wore my Eagles dry fit. Uh, you know, I do think the Cowboys are going to win. I'm not going to have to give as, as long analysis, uh, I think, as you gave there. I think 
You know, even things like the rest deferential, like again, the uh, the Eagles play a team that is off that kind of 10 days to prepare. And again, it feels like you're playing a team where in a few ways, it feels like this is their Super Bowl. So, you know, it's nice for to be an Eagles team where everyone wants to obviously give your best shot. I, I do. I think you yeah, just overall have a hard time thinking matchup wise. You know, when you're mentioning Shaq Leonard, like the expectation should be tempered there at the same time, like the bar is so low that like adequate performance in certain levels is kind of right. a bonus there so you hope that between cunningham coming back between goddard coming back we're able to see a performance but yeah i mean my preaching is going to be don't panic if if they lose which i don't know you know we'll see if they even let both of us on the air next week or if they if they (laughs) no great complex has something else going going on after the game there you go all right what what do we have to uh plug here and you're still i mean you're just turning out the content you're you you don't hit the, the I mean, I shouldn't call it a rookie wall. You're not a rookie, but you're not hitting any kind of wall here. You're ready for all kinds of snaps, short rest. Uh, where can the people find your work this week? Yeah, find it at, on Twitter at Syed Schemes. I'm on the Sumer Sports Show podcast on every Tuesday. This week we did like, you know, the college football committee, they do a four-team playoff selection for the for college. We did that for the pros. Uh, that was a fun one, just thinking, well, do you let the Cowboys and the Eagles in? Do you do it without the Chiefs? That was a fun one. And I'm recording the on the Seattle mm. Overload podcast later today, which should be fun because the Eagles, you know, you don't want to overlook Seattle. I do consider that as part of this extended gauntlet. And then, you know, I'm going I'm to go ahead and plug some positivity. Just, you know, take a second. Think about one thing you love about the Eagles. I actually do love the midnight green. I think the green is my wife's favorite color. And I always didn't like have the same affection for green. But it's a beautiful color. Feel So that there's my positivity. Uh, make sure everyone google's maple creamy uh and and maybe don't camp too much outside the Novacare complex let's, let's let those guys do their work there you go uh yeah i mean gr- green is also my favorite color which my daughter asks me every day and then she wants to know what my second favorite color is which i say i don't I have a second favorite color i'm a one color man you know i have a favorite color and that's it it's like you can't have two favorite teams you just uh have one there so that's how uh i answered the kelly green is of course um, beautiful and superior, but yeah, any shade of green is pretty, you know, the, the Crayolas have what the forest green. That's not a bad green. All right. I'm going to shut up now. We're an hour and 10 minutes into this bad boy. Thank you to Sean. That was wonderful. As always, thank you to ACE producer Cliff Augustine, who you better believe I'm taking Cliff Augustine, the little Sicily too, in the weeks ahead here. Now that he's back, uh, in Philadelphia, we will be back. Benny souls and I late Sunday night recapping. Eagles, Cowboys. Until then, everybody have a great week. We'll talk to you soon on the Ringers Philly Special. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. 
1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. 